So I tell you what, I think I've heard it all when it comes to the idea of new versus old. And today I really want to have this conversation because I think there is an argument many people pose around quality versus quantity or the other way around. I certainly know that sometimes our beliefs shape our portfolio. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, another code cracker. We're going to dig into the idea of building a portfolio, whether we should get involved with much older real estate. Should we actually tackle brand new or newer real estate? What if we need to look at real estate through a new lens Today's show is really tackling this conversation. So I'll tell you what, I'm pretty pumped to bring you the show today. I think we're going to have a bit of fun. I don't know if uh, we should do the show. We never know until we get to the end. But I'll tell you what, we're going to discover some insights and take on the good, the bad and the ugly of both new real estate and of course, old real estate. We're going to be able to, I think, walk away from the end of the podcast having assessed both and being able to make a pretty informed decision if uh, we are potentially building a portfolio. Hey, if it's your first time tuning in, welcome aboard to the Urban Property Investor. Big part of my job is simply sharing three decades worth of property investment with others. So welcome aboard, a few rules, just make sure you play the show quickly, do it in double speed if you can, try and get your life back, I always say. And I'll tell you what, uh, if you're tuning in today, you've probably across the fact that I have a Gopnik dog, if you are a long-term listener. Hey, uh, I just got uh, Rafi, uh, he actually went for surgery yesterday, yes, Rafi is now a eunuch. Uh, so my household includes a eunuch, which is fantastic. Uh, he has a bucket on his head. And uh, so interesting hanging out with a buckethead dog. Not too many other dogs want to hang out with a buckethead dog. So I've soon learned that uh, I think dogs are a bit scared of the old bucket system, potentially losing the old Jats crackers. But we're not here to... Uh, talk about my family. We're here to talk about real estate. And today, again, I think there is a big conversation when it comes to the idea of new versus old. It seems to be, for many people, a bit of a sticking point. Certainly, to me, sometimes feels like it is actually the uh, Muhammad Ali versus George uh, foreman when it comes to real estate. Should we choose something a little bit more modern uh, with a you know, few less uh, challenges potentially when it comes to repairs and maintenance? Or should we stick to some of the older real estate and see if we can fiddle with it, do something with it to make it more stand out in a crowded real estate marketplace. So I'll tell you what, I think I've heard it all when it comes to the idea of new versus old. And today I really want to have this conversation because I think there is an argument many people pose around quality versus quantity or the other way around. I certainly know that sometimes our beliefs shape our portfolio Kiyosaki often says, uh, the famous real estate guru, Robert Kiyosaki, often says people have inside them a broke person, a middle-class person, and a rich person, and they are voices inside our head. And I often think people shape their portfolio based on how they perceive the world. Rich people do bigger deals, rich people buy better real estate, rich people buy better locations. That's fundamentally how they become rich, how they maintain becoming rich. So if rich people buy bigger, better, 
deals, why are we even talking about potentially uh, real estate in really degrade locations that is old and itchy? Well, uh, I think it is worth having the probe into this conversation, the prize fight between the two. I'm going to try and lead the debate as best as possible. And I certainly know that uh, I guess many people do have a little bit of a cognitive bias when it comes to what they pre-decide to purchase in the real estate marketplace. And without question, I think a lot of that bias is uh, quite often just, again, probably the mindset Kiyosaki talks about. You know, are you buying real estate with a broke mindset? If you buy real estate with a broke mindset, you're probably going to get burnt. And that's just the way real estate is. Bigger deals often perform better if you look at the capital growth in the market at the moment. It's typically the more expensive end of the market is growing the fastest. I mean, I was just looking in the suburb of Canterbury, Melbourne. I think uh, real estate in that suburb, which is, you know, a top five Melbourne suburb, has risen close to a million dollars in the last 12 months. Bigger deals, more expensive results. So uh, I think to break down whether we should tackle new versus old or old versus new or buy an old property or buy a new property, I think we need to have the time conversation to begin with. Uh, I think it is certainly uh, a good conversation to start the debate. You know, it is not, I guess, 1980 right now, and things have certainly changed. I think we are living in a decade of disruption. So to build a portfolio, we need to understand our market landscape. And probably one of the greatest business books ever written is The Art of War. In The Art of War, really one of the big lessons in that masterpiece which has lasted centuries is you need to know your terrain and I think the conversation around what we should buy when it comes to asset allocation or the dwelling we should pick up needs to understand the terrain we're currently living in. We are living in a period of time with an aging population. People are growing older And as such, what they see as comfortable is very different um, to potentially what uni students see as comfortable. We are living in an age of automation, certainly an age of a digital revolution. Big data, machines, machine learning is a real thing. We're obviously living in a period of pandemics, aren't we? Uh, Certainly... I think uh, coronavirus is not going away anytime soon. Um, I don't know when I'm going to catch it, but uh, hopefully Pfizer defends me. Uh, We are certainly living in a period where spatial transformation is a real thing, and I've done a podcast on what spatial transformation is and, and why it is important science for property investors to consider. Obviously, there is a huge wage of wealth at the top of the real estate market. It is trapped with baby boomers. Their ability to buy and uh, really shape the future of the real estate market is something that we need to comprehend uh, because they are fundamentally an all-cash marketplace. What they like is going to influence real estate. And I think it's fair to say, you know, we live in a smarter world. You know, in 1960, 40% of human beings on planet Earth uh, basically could read. Today, 85% of people have the capacity to learn through books and knowledge and the internet and can read. We have doubled our literacy rate. And as such, human beings are becoming smarter And as human beings become smarter, I think real estate and what is important to people is certainly morphing. Then you've got the concept of inequality. As we know, inequality is probably one of the biggest mega trends anywhere in the world at the moment. And 
as such, the rental market will certainly be changed by government influence. Probably in about a decade, we'll see more of the concept of build to rent and more of the dynamic that as a property investor, we're going to be competing with our own government to rent properties. We're going to be competing with multinational companies to rent property. Now, as crazy as it sounds, uh, major companies today are a huge monopoly. What's stopping, for example, Apple having Apple Homes? Uh, really, the future of real estate is going to absolutely be very different. Now, I like to study the business market to see how it interfaces with the real estate market. I think you can learn a lot as to what the future level of demand is going to be, uh, particularly from the business market. You just have to look at the top 10 companies in the world, the largest companies in the Fortune 500 series. And you'll notice they're all fundamentally tech companies. Tech, uh, companies or um, pass themselves off as uh, a consumer company, but fundamentally are tech. Let's look at the names, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, uh, Tencent, Tesla, Alibaba. I mean, these are all companies which are reshaping how society works and have a massive influence on really how people actually will live. I mean, when you look at uh, companies like Amazon and Alibaba, I mean, I would probably digitally shop two or three times a day using their services or, you know, I'm a big, I love a bit of Kogan, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm a Kogan man. I feel like, a, feel like Kogan's coming to my house every day. But uh, the point of the conversation is it is not 1980. If you look at the companies that ruled the world in the 80s, uh, you know, we're talking about car companies, petrol companies. Basically, you had companies like Exxon, General Motors, Mobil, Ford, Chevron, Gulf Oil. These uh, companies basically had an influence on, again, the type of work being done in society. And of course, the types of properties which work created in a different era. And, you know, let's face it, I think we have to buy real estate for the future because we obviously spending money that we earn today to create a brighter future for ourselves. And we do that through the idea that, you know, whatever we invest today is going to be worth more into the future. So should we not be designing a real estate portfolio that is closer linked to what the future actually looks like? I mean, major real estate companies companies at a global level like uh, Savills and CBRE and so forth often report that the marketplace is morphing so much that potentially even the way real estate is valued into the future will change. If a residential property has mixed use potential, should, should it not be worth more than a property that doesn't? Mixed use, for example, is a property that can yield higher using things like Airbnb, contemporary mixed use. So again, I think we need to just take a step back, throw away our you know biases and maybe take a breath when it comes to choosing this portfolio we're designing for ourselves and see if we can map out something really cool. Oh my God, the Gospodar is back. It's official. He's out mowing the lawn. It's the middle of winter. Grass is at and it's thin. It does not need mowing. The Gospodar has returned. He is my nemesis. He is literally out of out the front of his house now mowing the lawn in the middle of winter. What is the point of that? Let the grass live. So I uh, look, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna this podcast could end pretty quickly because this gospodar gets under my skin. I've lost my train of thought. Where are we? I think uh, the first conversation we need to have is what era we live in, right? The art of war, know your terrain. 
now we've had, I guess, that kind of conversation, I think we need to have the real estate culture conversation. Now in business, there is a saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And anyone who's run a business, I've run multiple businesses for two decades now. And I can tell you, you want really good culture before you want strategy. You want the right people on the bus, not the wrong people because it can get quite toxic at times. Uh, When you do have the right culture and the right values and know where you're going with a purpose and a mission, you certainly uh, absolutely have the right space as a business person. However, in real estate, in the business of property investment, I think the culture of property investment needs an overhaul because it is just too easy to become clickbait. It's too easy to put your Robert Kiyosaki poor hat on today in the real estate marketplace or your middle class hat on and go, well, I'm going to invest just based on my paycheck and my paycheck says to me, you know, I need to just buy something cheap and cheerful and affordable. It doesn't really work like that. There's not a wealth creation dynamic. And I think really, even though in business, culture eats strategy for breakfast. In real estate, I think strategy is probably the key part. And putting aside former cultures in the real estate community is a big part of the conversation when it comes to building wealth, building a strategy, and knowing what type of assets to choose. So when it comes to building a strategy, I think the first place to start is your time frame. Uh, Knowing your time frame is going to be critical to the type of assets you should buy. And I think uh, one of the biggest challenges for real estate investors is when you become a real estate investor, you buy a problem. That is the purpose of being a real estate investor. You buy problems and you solve them. You buy problems and you see them through. The biggest problem in the real estate marketplace is without question the problem of time. Most real estate investors don't realize when they are signing up to be a real estate investor that time just goes really slow. It's a really slow burn. And I think uh, when we understand that if we are on a slow burn to wealth creation, we really need to factor in what is happening at the point of time where our retirement is and probably value that more so than potentially where we are today. And to put it in a little bit of formula context, I always put down in real estate, a trader, someone buying and selling and flipping, does that generally in a 12 to 24 month period. Obviously, the risk profile of that is completely different to buy and hold. Today, to have the new versus old conversation is a buy and hold conversation And so we're not trading. Now, certainly I teach people how to trade real estate. I show people how to trade. I trade real estate myself. I do that through small scale development. I teach the property trifecta, the first part of the puzzle, build your buy and hold backbone. Your backbone is your wealth. Your backbone is three, four, five properties. I teach the five cities, five properties plan. The second, uh, Part of the trifecta is your dividend assets or cash flow properties. This can be businesses, shares, but also positive cash flow real estate. The third part of the puzzle is chunks of wealth through basically equity arbitrage, which is just simply taking equity, which you can borrow at 3% from the bank and working it over a 24-month period to try and get a 15 or 20% return on that money. Cash flow, chunks of cash flow. So trading is great, but it is not designed for a buy and hold property. It is designed for property investment, which you can find a higher and better use of. For example, I just did a deal, uh, my clients, uh, me, we joint ventured together. We did 29 blocks of land in Brisbane. 
We basically found a block of land, carved it up into 29 blocks, and uh, families are now basically building houses on those properties. Uh, That is trading. But now we're going to talk about the idea of the buy and hold, right? And certainly I think you should call yourself a speculator. If you buy real estate, hold it for anywhere up to six years. If you buy, uh, hold and sell within six years, you are just basically speculating. That is not considered long-term. That is not a retirement strategy. That is usually a diagnosis of something in your life not working. Shorter-term investing is really sort of seven to 12 years. Uh, Anything under sort of 13 years is considered pretty short because you're not giving enough time for yourself to do a property cycle. Medium-term investing is really that sort of 13 to 20 years. You guarantee yourself either a 13 or 18-year property cycle, which is pretty typical in the marketplace. And long-term investing is really that 20 to 30-year kind of space. So for the most part, when it comes to buy and hold, you know, I'm showing people to do property investment over a medium to long-term point of view. And long-term being 20 years plus means today, if you're shaping a portfolio, it's 2021, obviously, 2041 is when we need to exit that strategy. That is the long-term game. And quite often, I think one of the opportunities for property investors is to design a strategy which basically uh, allows you to buy a few properties, hold them, sell down some to pay off others. And it's very common, for example, for property investors to try and work out how to acquire through acquisition four assets, hold them a long time, hold them 20 years long-term, not short-term. Not It won't work if you're aiming for six years. It's This plan ain't going to work. You need to remember that even in the art of war, you've got to know your strategy, right? If you do not have a strategy, you won't know what assets to buy and allocate to yourself. So, I'm obviously trying to advocate here long-term investment because it it, it, it really is the, the cornerstone of real estate. Um, real estate's gone through eras. It transforms as time goes on. So it's very common for people to sort of go into this process of buy four, keep two, sell two to pay off the two that you're keeping. Now, if you don't factor in what people want into the future and you don't really also comprehend that you're going on a journey, a 20-year journey, how that 20-year journey will be is very tied to the assets you choose. You're probably going to get burnt by the real estate marketplace. And again, the real estate market place will absolutely burn you if you get off the roller coaster halfway through. It will burn you if you get uh, the wrong assets for the wrong strategy. Now, if you're going to, I don't know, buy and flip, obviously the new real estate marketplace is not really designed for that. You're probably uh, better to go and find an old chitter and try and add some value, find a problem solve the problem and sell the problem. Uh, I certainly uh, don't see the need to go and do that when you can do bigger deals. Rich people do bigger deals. Uh, Kiyosaki says we've all got a poor person in us, a middle-class person in us, and a rich person in us. Today, uh, plenty of people I know are doing the big deals because the big deals just carry more profit and you can do it from an armchair point of view when it comes to trading. So designing a portfolio is as much about knowing your terrain. Your terrain, of course, is you're not living in 1980. Knowing your strategy, which today is, uh, you know, various different strategies. The strategy which I most commonly see real estate investors apply is the strategy of, basically a hot rock strategy. 
buy four properties, they become hot rocks. Uh, if they get too hot, you basically um, don't get a result from the real estate market. You get burnt. And there is a few reasons why rocks get hot in the real estate marketplace. So we're going to talk about the benefits and the pitfalls of certainly the uh, idea of both new and old. Not all new is good. Not all old is bad. Not all old is good. Not, uh, I think you get the picture. So I think we've got to design this portfolio for the strategy we're applying, right? And uh, certainly for me, if you're going to build a port property portfolio that you need to sell some in 2041, you obviously want a mission fit piece of real estate to be sold in 2041. You want a good city, you want a good suburb that people want to live in. You want uh, a very good piece of real estate that is likable at that point in time. So I think we're at this sort of point where we need to really shape a portfolio which mirrors some of what is occurring in society. And I always try and shape a portfolio for what is known as the affordable and livable supply and demand gap. The affordable and livable supply and demand gap. So basically, uh, in our cities, there's all sorts of areas to buy real estate. Some of them for property investors are way beyond most people's budget. Most people I'm working with, you know, want to spend 300, 400, 500, 600, 700, maybe a million at a stretch. As such, you need to obviously dance around the real estate marketplaces to look for something that is affordable. But there is a lot of reasons as to why people want to live in that property. And again, the idea today that there is really a lack of safe, well-designed, comfortable, affordable properties in really lifestyle precincts that have good local services is what uh, most property investors want to get their hands on. And because uh, most of society wants to get their hands on those assets, they become hot property. And again, the affordable and livable supply gap is a place today where a lot of real estate is being fought over. Millennials want to buy it. Uh, baby boomers want to buy it. Everyone is kind of competing for the same marketplace. And as such, I think it is a really important conversation piece to tackle when we're tackling this idea of more modern properties or older properties that today they're the consumer that is walking the earth of the real estate marketplace is very, very different. We have uh, the largest expected maneuver of people fundamentally of baby boomer generation with more money than you can poke a stick at who are at some point going to want a more modern and more convenient uh, property that they can enjoy as opposed to rotting in a property where the roof is leaking. And as they don't have a problem with money and they bought real estate for a can of Coke in basically 1971, they are sitting on gazillions and millions of dollars for the most part. And as such, they really are looking for what is known as uh, the three C's. Comfort, sorry, comfort, convenience and community. That is really what the downsizer is looking for. And the millennial is also now in a situation where because they come from a different era and real estate marketplaces are so expensive, they have to basically um, play the game of price. And so they are a price-sensitive marketplace. So for the most part, for a millennial, if they can choose a good location, a good quality property, 
um, a comfortable property and maybe it's just a bit smaller as a house, they're pretty comfortable with that because, again, it gets them into the marketplace as opposed to some of the baby boomer assets, which are, you know, basically, um, you know, way too expensive for someone starting out uh, in the real estate community. So we know that this kind of spatial transformation is occurring and we know the customers in the market at the moment are all looking for uh, modern facilities and amenities. Now, in real estate, there is no such thing as downgrading. There is downsizing, there is upgrading, but there is no such thing as downgrading. People fundamentally are looking for this upward experience when it comes to livability in the real estate marketplace. And as such, right now, inside of the real estate market, we are seeing really a transformation of all sorts of stuff. Um, We are certainly seeing that today, a lot of people can't actually upgrade because there is nowhere to go. Uh, They have already upgraded and now the only place to upgrade is the actually dwelling type from um, basically a much older property to a more modern property. And so we're seeing this a lot, particularly in inner and middle suburban areas where today the the person that lives there has already lived the upgrade experience and they are now looking to transform from their older home to a more modern type of dwelling and that is the upgrade. The upgrade is actually a quality upgrade, a dwelling upgrade, not just um, a location upgrade. And for that, it is certainly an interesting factor shaping property outcomes today. And certainly, I think we are starting to see factors which are driving aspiration and we're seeing it through this life stage effect. Right now, hot property is quality real estate in community areas that are very livable, that have great local amenities or the property itself has great local amenities and comfort and lifestyle is something everyone is looking for. So the battleground for real estate is in the gap, which I refer to as the affordability yet livable real estate market. And again, if we look at marketplaces where people can fundamentally get to, which are still affordable, and there is a really good living experience there. They are being sold and people love them to buy real estate in right now, left, right, and center. And as such, you're really experiencing this concept, which I love teaching for property investors. Property investors quite often are looking for something affordable. If you're looking for something affordable, that's fine because that is the point of being a property investor. You buy something affordable, you buy the problem of affordability, you see the problem through over a period of time and that affordable piece of real estate becomes something. And I always teach the affordable yet livable gap of supply and high demand is how you take an affordable property that then becomes aspirational. And again, uh, this is how you build wealth in real estate. You buy something affordable, that, that area and that dwelling will become aspirational into the future. And again, If you think about what is shaping property outcomes at the moment, it is certainly the idea that we have a millennial marketplace which is pouring into the real estate market to buy real estate, Um, but their budget is not 
uh, a big one. So for them, quality is an opportunity for them to buy. Certainly when it comes to downsizers, downsizers have more money than they can poke a stick at. They will not downgrade. They will find real estate, which uh, they can enjoy. And this is, again, I think what we're starting to see when it comes to what people want in the real estate marketplace. Certainly in the real estate suburbs I tend to hang out in, this is the effect which is unfolding. Now, again, real estate is full of uh, gotchas and I can tell you there are all sorts of gotchas when it comes to being burnt from the real estate marketplace. Remember, if you're designing a plan that is designed around uh, you exiting the real estate market as a business owner in the real estate market of the business of property investing, you're giving yourself a runway of 20 years, your number is 2041. So if you design a portfolio for that exit in mind, you're going to have to think about the journey along the way. And what that journey looks like is usually a good location, an affordable property, good numbers, an ability to cash flow the property, the comprehension that you know what your exit strategy actually is, the comprehension that you know you're buying a problem, which is the problem of time, and that you're willing to see it through. And if you take on the wrong asset, you're going to have to spend money on that journey, making sure that the real estate you buy does not become a liability. And as such, if it did become a liability, that you're not lumbered with tenants being uh, mauled by inequality. And inequality, obviously, is a huge, huge conversation today in Australia. Obviously, when it comes to the affordable and livable supply gap, short term, we need to just look into things like future lead time for more stock, lead time um, and speed that real estate can be built, and obviously the existing availability of real estate. But these are short-term metrics, and I think a lot of property investors worry about what is going on in the next six months, as opposed to actually thinking about, well, when does this business of building a property investment uh, experience actually end? So now we understand the conversation and the context of new properties and old properties and how they have to interface with real estate then I think we should have the conversation about the pros and cons of new properties and old properties. We absolutely cannot have that conversation unless we absolutely tackle the art of war, which is, you know, know your strategy, know your terrain, right? And uh, know your enemy. And if you don't know those three, then you're going to struggle. So, when it comes to certainly the choice between older real estate and more modern real estate, I think one thing which certainly is evident, there is some great suburbs and great locations in our cities which have some beautiful older real estate and more importantly even, those suburbs are not new suburbs. So people who own real estate in those suburbs have mortgages that are virtually paid off or already paid off. And real estate investors that maybe perhaps own real estate there may have bought there previously, already made capital growth. So the likelihood of them selling and paying capital gains tax is pretty limited. For this reason, I really love, uh, you know, those typical inner, middle, early, outer, established areas which are not too far from the city at all when it comes to real estate because they are what I would call a low debt market with less volatility. 
Now, we live in a decade of disruption, so it makes sense to me to buy in a low volatility marketplace as uh, you never know what's around the corner at the moment. And so a defense strategy for me is absolutely thinking about where older properties typically are or nearby or those um, more central locations, those uh, areas just not too far away from major infrastructure. For me, I do a lot of work inside of cities. So, you know, 20Ks, uh, you know, 10Ks, 5Ks, those type of areas tend to be pretty good. I personally, um, you know, uh don't particularly like going to speculative new suburbs that have never really existed before on the peripheral of our cities and, uh, you know, starting to buy real estate. I think, um, you know, for the most part, they are all new mortgages starting on the same day. And also, you know, certainly some pockets of our cities uh, certainly some of the newer properties, particularly around um, certainly beta uh, city centres in our CBDs make no sense to me. You know, you can go and buy uh, new apartments around Parramatta and it's like, well, you know, what? It, what what's the point of that kind of um, process, right? And you think, well, I get it if it's... Alpha, if it's, you know, right on the doorstep of Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane when it comes to um, some some newer assets, but I just don't get it in the, you know, Liverpool, Liverpool CBD. I mean, I mean, why, what is the advantage of buying real estate that way? So some of these newer zones, uh, you know, suck basically. Um, and as such, you know, again, I'm a bigger fan if you can buy um, a newer property, a newer dwelling, an apartment, townhouse, newer house in, um, you know, some of these more established middle areas, not too far away from everything. And they're not a, um, fundamentally some sort of, you know, tower, you know, 40 kilometers from the CBD, then uh, they're worth a second look at and we'll analyze some of the advantages and drawbacks of both the new real estate market and the old real estate market. Certainly the advantages, I think, of the older real estate marketplace is character properties. There's some beautiful, stunning character homes around, but let's face it, uh, the horse is bolted on those when it comes to real estate investment, unless you're willing to maybe drop one seven, one eight in most major cities. Those character properties are pretty much gone. And of course, if you did, then you've got to pay land tax and all sorts of things. Uh, the advantage of old is established suburbs. I, I love, um, you know, some of the, again, central locations that you can buy in real estate today at a fairly affordable rate. Uh, definitely some of the advantages of old is some of these larger you know, character homes are, are pretty big. There's some pretty grand homes out there. And certainly, again, when it comes to the capital growth figures, they do really, really well. They will get the best growth because they're kind of what the rich people absolutely want. Um, however, you know, larger homes in, uh, you know, uh, Lake Guido certainly doesn't make a lot of sense to me, right? Uh, the... Older properties um, in these expensive character areas can be, you know, a little bit expensive. And I guess um, there is no real higher and better use for them. They need to maintain their sort of look and feel when it comes to their character um, zoning. So there are some drawbacks. And certainly I think the drawbacks in the established marketplace the secondhand marketplace is there's lots of real estate which has absolutely no character it wasn't a cool little terrace that was designed you know in 1900 it's not a federation home it's not uh architecturally interesting there's a still today you know bucket loads of you know basically you know almost like 
asbestos homes. There's bucket loads of like, you know, weird old brick veneer places. There's bucket loads of walk-up apartments that, you know, are basically just horrible, right? And again, when you look at the era we're living in um, and the companies that rule the world and, you know, knowing your market, knowing your terrain, knowing your enemy, you, 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 it's very hard to justify saying, well, that's my 2041, you know, financial plan. Um, it's, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me. I absolutely get the, you know, the feature homes um, that are more expensive, but I do not absolutely think that you're going to certainly um, create a wealth transfer of people downgrading to that real estate from a higher social status. And obviously, some of the drawbacks from some of the more older properties is the ongoing maintenance and the fact that many of the properties today in society are obsolete. They're going through what is known as functional uh, obsolence. Now, functional obsolence is the idea that today, you know, a 1970s home was built with, uh, you know, three bedrooms, one bathroom. Today, a family wants four bedrooms, two bathrooms. And again, that functionally obsolete home, maybe the best use of it today is actually knocking it over. And I think unless real estate investors factor in functional obsolence into their decision-making about their strategy, they're doing themselves a disservice. They've just put on, in my view, the Robert Kiyosaki's uh, poor person's mindset. And again, Robert Kiyosaki says there's three mindsets people have. Every, all of us, me, you, everyone. We have the rich version of us, the middle-class version of us, and the broke version of us. And a lot of property investors just go into this thing with this broke mindset. They buy a property which looks broke um, and they don't factor in the loss of functional obsolescence on the asset. And again, I've got the lashes on the back for this stuff. I've bought real estate like this. I've once bought a property in regional New South Wales, I picked it up cheap. It was like $110,000 and I owned it for a year and all of a sudden the foundations of the house basically started to struggle and I got a quote to fix the foundations and this was in my early days of property investing. Like I didn't have any money and I got a quote uh, from several builders and to fix and sort of repair the property and it was on um, some erratic soil. It was like $41,000. The house was only worth $110,000. So I was faced with almost um, a ridiculous situation and, and uh, the only way for me to solve that was to liquidate the property and walk away with uh, a loss and and someone else came in and, and took the asset off me. They fortunately didn't do a building and pest inspection and, you know, I got away with, uh, you know, a sneaky bob. But if you don't sort of tackle this stuff at the beginning, you're going to end up getting burnt. And again, Real estate is a game of time if you're doing a buy and hold strategy. And if you're going to do 20 years of with a functionally obsolete asset, you're going to struggle. And the big costs really are things like roofing, foundations, plumbing and wiring, uh, really antiquated layouts, antiquated features inside the property, poor drainage, poor you know things like waterproofing, uh, old windows. Again, the modern market we live in where tech companies ruled the world and millennials are basically um, living on Instagram, showing you know their life to people and, and living in this kind of logic that 
there is a lot of reflection on them as to what they own and what they wear and what they buy. And then you've got the millennial, uh, the baby boomers rather, who basically have all the money in the world. No one's buying this stuff. And that's where I often see ads today on the real estate market. And I see a lot of buyers agents even, um, you know, sending emails out and stuff. Just helped a client, you know, get a 6% return uh, spending, you know, $207,000. And you're like, holy shit, man, what are these guys just buying? And then you look at it and you, you, you look at the ads and you can see what's going on. I mean, Brisbane is booming right now. Just won the Olympic Games and there's ads on the realestate.com that basically are saying things like investors' vivid dreams. When a real estate ad says invested viv- investors' vivid dream, all that is basically pointing out that no owner-occupier, no downsizer, no upgrader, no millennial actually wants the asset. It is now, uh, it has no marketplace. And the only marketplace for it is investors. And then an investor looks at it and goes, wow, that's cheap. I'm going to put on my Kiyosaki broke cap on and I'm going to buy a cheap property because when something's $340,000, I mean, it is what it is. That's what I can afford. And hey, um, I'm in the market. Woohoo! So I know this stuff probably going to rattle some people because, you know, again, the bias potentially around this stuff can be pretty pretty hectic right a lot of people again the culture inside the real estate marketplace has edified this stuff for a quite a long time it's edified it uh certainly stemming back to probably the year you know 2010 and then i think we entered the a different era and i certainly worked on some of this stuff in past eras but uh they were past years and I've been doing this for three decades and I certainly now um, can see that these are functionally obsolete properties that there is no real market for other than broke people. Uh, some of the, like again, Brisbane is booming and real estate agents are having to go to certain locations with certain dwelling types that are past their use by date and labeling the ad investors vivid dream or submit offers or all offers will be considered. And this is where, again, um, some buyers agents are doing work on this stuff because it's so easy to get and there is no market for it, but there's a report created and it's given to you and then all of a sudden you're buying it. Uh I would be very, very, very wary of some of this stuff. There is some real drawbacks to it. Certainly in the new property marketplace, and we're going to talk about new now, obviously the advantages to that is less maintenance, modern functionality, energy, smart integration, no capital costs. You do not need to factor in $100,000 to get to 2041 to uh re or retrofit your asset there is uh some really good designs in the new real estate market there are smart homes Uh, some real estate is being future-proofed as well for things like electric car charging we know today one out of every five cars coming off the german production line is electric we know great britain just banned petrol cars there will not be a petrol car in the united kingdom from 2031 So again, there are some benefits to newer or more modern properties. Some of the drawbacks though can be, they can be a bit smaller. They can uh, be in these new weird places that have never really existed before where people have never had mortgages before. Uh, And of course, again, many unskilled investors can pay way too much for new real estate. So there are some drawbacks and I think we need to understand there is a two-tiered market in the more modern real estate arena. There is quality new construction and then there is low quality new construction. What I would avoid 
with droves on is low quality new construction in areas that basically economically are starting out as, uh, you know, places to for people to live. They're usually found, just to give you a clue, uh, you know, 50, 60 kilometers from the CBD center. They're not part of the urban inner, middle, or those new flourishing early outer precincts of our cities. So low quality new construction, not a fan of it. It is uh, uh, certainly something where you can run into a lot of pitfalls with it. It can be functionally obsolete very, very quickly. And I've seen that happen before where real estate uh, today is five years old and you drive past it and you're like, is that is that a f- modern building that looks 50 years old? I'm from Sydney and whenever you drive around Sydney, you see bucket loads of this shit. It is everywhere. It's like... The building standards in Sydney are so horrendous that really the new builds in Sydney are very, very, very scary. In fact, there is a commissioner in, in Sydney now designed to rank developers on providing quality new construction or low quality new construction. It's some really good news for consumers because it's very hard for people to understand the difference. And unless you've been doing this a very long time, rather like me, you probably at a glance would not understand the difference. So the cool thing is, certainly for the quality new construction real estate, there is a massive market for it, a massive market for it. They are called every single baby boomer going around is looking for a more comfortable uh, dynamic for themselves. And this is, again, what links back to what I was talking about. Um, If we can find an affordable yet livable option, we have basically found something to match the supply gap. That is the supply gap. Now, sometimes we talk about supply in such a broad context. We say, well, you know, Brisbane's going to get, you know, I don't know, I'm just making it up. Brisbane's going to get 40,000 apartments. Um, Okay, well, which ones are going to the affordable yet livable area, which is the supply gap? And as such, you'll find quite often there is none. And anything that is more modern going to those marketplaces is hot property. And the simple reason is when people can't upgrade, they upgrade to comfort. And we're now in that space. Now, certainly when it comes to new real estate, obviously there are some tax benefits to it. Uh, If you buy brand new, just so everyone knows, you get full depreciation, both building and shuttles. Shuttles are things like your carpets, your kitchens, your tiles. The building is obviously the building and uh, that is just the way it works. And again, sometimes I think there is this kind of Uh, broke mindset around depreciation, which makes no sense to me. Depreciation allows you to get cash flow. A lot of people who are depreciators absolutely claim their tax back through depreciation weekly, fortnightly, and monthly. And they use that cash flow straight away to buy more things. And that is what is known as a tax variation. So again, a lot of people uh, don't understand some of the benefits of high quality new construct. Obviously, uh, there are a few variables positioning, again, this idea that society is, is into this stuff at the moment. The cost of renovation has become pretty significant with uh, inflation Pandemic itself is pushing people into this context of, well, if I'm going to go through lockdown, I want to live somewhere good and I want to feel good where I live. And again, more modern real estate or more functional real estate is doing pretty well in that uh, context. So again, there are two types of new construct, you need to avoid 75% of new construct 
because it's rubbish. It's basically low quality new construction. And then if you can find uh, more modern, high quality new construct, it's uh, a little bit of a trump card in, in the market at the moment because it certainly is something that many of the buying groups in society like. Now, personally, I'm just going to, and I mentioned this once before, you know, if I was going to the bar and I was ordering a drink, you know, I'd get a fluffy duck for the missus. And for me, I would do the blend. And the blend to me is buying in inner, middle or early outer ring neighborhoods, not at the edge of the city where you can get this blended model of, uh, for example, central locations, established suburbs, old debt marketplaces, in some instances, character neighborhoods with character homes. But obviously, we can't afford to buy those character homes. So let's look at something a little bit more sleeker, a little bit more minimalist, uh, with less maintenance, that has really good energy, great designs, um, and is kind of future-proof to get us to 2041. And that's where, personally... I, when people talk to me about is new better than old, is old better than new, I always recommend, you know, consider the blend. Um, Take the best of the old market, the best of the new market, blend them together, and you will wake up in 2041 after your long-term real estate plan is done with something that is still very appealing to the real estate marketplace of 2041. And again, um, I think the renaissance of these more central locations, which are still affordable yet livable, is the supply gap. That is where the money is to be made in the real estate marketplace. And certainly, uh, when I find deals in those marketplaces, I uh, can and, and I find the quality new construct, the rental returns are fantastic. Now, I look after through property management around 1,100 investors' assets. I take it very, very seriously. And what I can tell you is the functionally obsolete real estate, um, sometimes on paper looks more impressive as a gross return, but the maintenance and ongoing capital injection to prop up those assets, which you do not see on realestate.com, is almost like neutralizing and and making those assets negatively geared in the lowest rate cash marketplace in Australia. And again, some of the uh, brand new low quality construction real estate doesn't yield that well. However, some of the flight quality real estate uh, that is constructed, that is high quality, gets incredible rents, incredible rents, and a very sophisticated tenant and, you know, no uh, ongoing maintenance costs. And again, I guess it's just the age-old argument. You know, you've probably got to think sometimes with real estate, do I put on my rich hat, as Kiyosaki says, and, you know, is it actually uh, better to buy something that's going to last longer, that is of better build standard, that is of better quality to get me to the end game? Or do I put my broke hat on or do I put my middle class hat on, which is like middle class hat is where's my pay packet? I need my pay packet. Without my pay packet, I don't feel safe. And again, a lot of property investors make decisions about real estate with this kind of like uh, battler's mindset. And, you know, even if the real estate market makes them $60,000, $80,000 over over the period of of a short period of ownership, it's just not impressive enough to, to sometimes carry you all the way to 2041. And I've seen many property investments that are sort of, this kind of dysfunctional real estate sort of almost like people 
buy them out well because no one else wants to buy them. So they always get a bit of a discount. But then, uh, and, but then that's where it ends. And there is no further movement on the asset other than the fact that the other person didn't want it and was willing to give it away to you because no one else would actually take the asset further. So I think uh, the conversation around yields is an interesting run because what we see is there is less vacancy, certainly longer occupants and much higher returns in the marketplace today that can support some of the uh, some of the prices of high quality uh, assets or more modern properties. And again, um, I think we just need to you know take a take a deep breath, understand do we know our terrain? Our terrain today is very, very different to the terrain when a home was built in 1985. Do we uh, know our strategy? Are we actually doing a buy and hold long-term strategy? Uh, if you are, then mirror what that long-term strategy actually is. And again, um, you know, know your enemy. And uh, for me, the enemy conversation is a big one. The enemy conversation is quite often ourselves. Again, when you become a property investor, you're buying a problem. The biggest problem you're buying is time. If you're not willing to see time through, if you, as you're buying a problem, you need to see it through. And if you're buying the problem of time, you need to mirror what that time frame is with your asset allocation. And I think, obviously, good improvements and good economics makes a lot of sense. Hey, that's it for me today. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. I hope you liked today's show. Feel free to leave me a review. Now, I wanted to uh, leave you with my quote. I made a quote um, in uh, one of my mate's uh, books. He, he uh, put me in his book and uh, I never know what the quote is, but I want to start to get in the habit of leaving the show with my quote in his book. Um, and uh, here it is. Apparently, I said this on one of the Urban Property Investor podcasts and he was like, wow, that's a really good quote. I'm going to put it in my book. And I was like, did I say that? And he was like, yeah, you said it. So, and the book, by the way, Your Exceptional uh, your exceptional Life. Make the rest of your life the best of your life. Anyway, this is the quote. You guys want to hear the quote? Don't ever fear to fail, be inspired to succeed. So now on the Urban Property Investor, I'm going to end the show on that note. Uh, let me just reread it again because I have a memory like a goldfish. Don't ever fear to fail. Be inspired to succeed. I hope this podcast will help you succeed. All the best. Lots of love. Sam Saggers signing off. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.